Ephesians chapter 3, 14 to 21, we are looking at the fullness of God, the fullness of God, and how do we as Christians turn this thing on so that you and I collectively manifest the fullness of God? Beginning in verse 14 to the end of the chapter. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, in order that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, in order that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able... To do far more abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. According to the power that works within us. To him. Be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. To all generations forever and ever. Amen. To you my king. Be all glory. Help us to reflect that in Christ's name. Amen. I'm moving through this at a uh, snail's pace. And I believe that it is in a time of very great urgency that I do it this way. We've just spent some time in the first three chapters dealing with what our Identity is in Jesus Christ. But we've also looked at what is our position in Jesus Christ. Okay? Who are you? Who are you? And I believe that it, we're in an, an age, a, a time, an era, whatever you want to call it, when... We know what we're supposed to do. We knew the do's and the don'ts. We know what we're supposed to do. We sometimes mold them into our image. But one of the things that I have watched when the body of Christ is focused on the do's and the don'ts, they have no idea who they are. And that's a tragedy. I mean, that is, a, that is a tragedy. Who we are in Christ. And it doesn't matter if you're the pastor, if you're an elder, if you're a deacon, if you're a Sunday school teacher, or whatever it is you do. We are all one in Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul is getting us through this. We are one. There's no Jew, there's no Gentile. There's no male, there is no 
female. There's no master. There is no slave. We are all one. We are one in Christ. Which allows the Apostle Paul, because of this oneness, okay? And he starts using terminology when you think about it, that we will say it, but we don't act like it. We will say we are the family of God. We will say we all have one Father. But I believe what has happened is we've got so wrapped up in the do's and the don'ts that that family unit thing is just something that we say. And that is very visible. Extremely, extremely visible. The Apostle Paul in verse 12 says, In whom we have... Okay, what, what is he referring to? He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom, in Christ Jesus our Lord, we have boldness and confident access through Him. Who? Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul understood that he could enter into God's presence. Now grab a hold of this. Because I know this is lacking. To enter into God's presence with boldness and confidence. Why? He's my father. I'm not afraid of my father. Even when I've made a big mess. I'm still not afraid. Not only that, you should have more boldness and more confidence to go to the father and say, I knocked out the Picture window. Because he's your father. That's the family. I remember reading Charles Spurgeon lectures to my students. He said, should I ever fall? Should I ever stumble greatly? Please hand me over to the barkeeps and the harlots. They will have more mercy. You know what? That ain't changed. That ain't changed. I remember a pastor talking about it. You know, Christians are really amazing because they love to shoot their wounded. It's amazing how well we know how to point out other people's shortcomings. And yet we don't have any boldness or confidence to go before a loving father. The Apostle Paul knew God was a loving father. And that loving father is just waiting for Paul to come so he can embrace him upon his arrival. And that stands for every one of us. Verse 14, he says, For this reason. And I shared with you how that ties together. Actually, it's coming out of verse 22 in chapter 2. For this reason, I bow my knee. Now listen. I've heard people preach on this before and some writings on this before. And uh, it is it is one of those times when I just want to go look at the person and speak these words. Have you not read? Have you not read? I remember a great man one time said that if you do not put in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer, 
It's like mailing a letter without a stamp. Really? To Him be the glory in the church and Christ Jesus, all generations forever and ever. Amen. He that didn't get mailed. See what I mean? I bow my knees. How can you bow your knees? How can you pray and not bow your knees? Well, that's easy. Bowing your knees is not your only posture for prayer. Did you know that? In Genesis chapter 18, verse 22, 18-22, it says, Abraham stood before the Lord. How dare he? He didn't bow. First Chronicles chapter 17, this is even worse. David sat before the Lord. You know what? In the Old Testament, sometimes you can bend your knee to pray. There's nothing wrong with it. But you know what? In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, verse 39, Jesus prostrated himself in prayer. You know what that means, right? Eating dirt, buddy. (laughs) You just can't get no lower. All right? Any way you want to pray is fine. I would suggest this. If you are driving, do not close your eyes in prayer. Just an idea. Okay? Another thing. Lying on your back in bed is not the appropriate place to pray or position. Because that will lead itself quickly into meditation. Just, just telling you, it's a bad idea. Every time I've laid on my back in prayer, uh, it was the shortest prayer that I ever had. It was one of those, hi Lord, good night. Okay? Listen, when I look at this, and the Apostle Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knee. Okay? There's two ways I look at that. I believe the Apostle Paul is covering both of them at the same time. Okay? Bowing of the knee. I think first and foremost is the concept of worship. Of worship. When a man of God would go before God. Now, I'm going to be specific about this. When a man of God goes before God, he will always see God as king. Okay? Uh, I I listened to a little dissertation (laughs) on Jesus Christ was a socialist. (laughs) And I listened to this spiel about the poor will always be with you. And if you see a brother in need, give to the need and this, that, and the other. And so the guy gave this great massive dissertation. It was wonderful and it was, oh, and he quoted scripture and he quoted scripture. And I said, I have a question. He said, what is that? What, what, what is your question? Because I'm really intelligent. Why is he called Lord and why is he returning as the returning king? Sir, that well, sounds like a monarchy. And monarchies are not known for their socialism. Socialism. 
<laughs> I just don't know how to influence some people and win friends. But I, that is, when I think about bowing the knee, I think of worship because I go before God. I always go before the king. He's the king. You know what that means, right? He's not open for your opinion. I am the king. The apostle Paul went and bowed his knee before God because he saw his majesty. I have asked several important people, Adrian Rogers, Stephen Olford, Charles Stanley, um, John MacArthur. I've read on Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Robert Murray McShane, and Charles Spurgeon. They were all asked the same question. The questions come out of a, a, a newspaper article that was written uh, with Robert Murray McShane. If you could tame one message to a hearer on your God, what would that message be? The holy majesty of God. Well, what about the gospel? Get that one. You've got the gospel. The holy majesty of God. Listen, when you've got that nailed down, it's like the Apostle Paul. How easy is it to be on your knees? Let me see. If I can give you an example of this. The book of Psalms. Chapter 95. The whole chapter 95 is my favorite. But the first five verses is what I want to focus on. Here's what the psalmist is saying. And it's actually a warning against unbelief. That's at its conclusion. All right. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgivings. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it is he who made it, and his hands form the dry land. Not real difficult to bow before the king, is it? Come, let us worship and bow down. Come, let us worship, bow down. It, what majesty, what majesty, think of that. I mean, I see it everywhere I look, uh, the hurricane that just hit the East Coast. I see the majesty of God. I mean, he just takes his finger and goes, mm, look at there, I got a top. 
I see it everywhere I go. I've seen it when I looked at Caesarea Philippi out across the Mediterranean. I looked when I see and I fly up over the Arctic Circle and I look down and see the blue with icebergs floating in it. I see it when I'm in Baku and I see the citrus and the palm trees and then offshore I see offshore oil. Then you drive up to the mountains near the Armenian border and you see the lushness and the hardwood trees. I have seen it over and over and over and over. Everywhere I have traveled, I see the glory of the Lord. He created it. How can we not come forward, worship and bow down? Let us Kneel before our Lord and Maker. He is our God. I've seen it. They had those satellite pictures of that hurricane from the space station. And you just look down and you think, wow, dude, (laughs) check that out. It's amazing stuff to me. I look up at the stars and I see His image everywhere and yet I can back up and say I can come with boldness and confidence access to him through Jesus Christ he who does these things so when I think of kneeling in prayer or whatever I understand that it is tied to royalty. To royalty. You see it all over the place. They bow before, what's her name in England? Elizabeth. Right? You see them do it to the Saudi princes and kings. Why? That's royalty. That's the bloodline. Let me ask you this. How much more? Does he who spoke existence into being deserve to be bowed down? So, I think about the Apostle Paul in verse 12 of chapter 3 telling me, I have, we have access now that we can enter into his presence with boldness and confidence. But we also understand that we are going before the king. The king of kings. The lord of lords. But I still can go with boldness and confidence. Why? We looked at it this morning in Sunday school. We are heirs. We are of the family of God, we are joint heirs with Jesus. Grab a hold of that and change your prayers. You don't need to go, oh, I hope he hears this one. How many times have you prayed this way? You lift out your petition. And of course, in your humbleness of heart, If it be your will. 
However, love you, brothers. That is not bold. That is not confident. I tried to share with you when I started into this text. This is theologically based. When my theology is in my prayer, I do not have to ask if it be your will. You're telling me if I pray for your spiritual growth, if it be your will. Really? God's will, your sanctification. That's God's will. It's in the Bible. First Thessalonians. This is God's will for you. What? Your sanctification. This is God's will for you. Walk worthy of your calling. This is God's will for you. Pray without ceasing. This is God's will for you. Do not despise prophetic utterances. This is God's will. Love as you were loved. If it be your will. See how silly that is? When your prayers have a theological foundation, I don't have to go, boy, I hope this is working. I can go with boldness and confidence. See how that works? I shared with you guys yesterday that came from the time of prayer. Once you start praying for people's spiritual edification, strengthening, sanctification, you know what you'll realize? You have very little temporal things to pray for them. You know why? God has grown them into the likeness of Christ. What was it that Christ needed? But we have to get off of this human side of prayer and go to the divine side and say, He spoke existence into being. You know, one always just scratches my head. He created time. Okay? An eternal being created time. And, you know, there's a part of me says, what was you thinking? He created time. And my problem is what? So when I see in the terms of prayer, I, I see it, it should be directed at the majesty of God. Who is your Father? It should be directed at the power of God. Who you can call Abba. It should be directed at the grandeur of God. Who is your Savior. It should be directed at the glory of God. Because you know what? People say, well, would you pray that I can get this new car? If you've got a good credit record, you can get it. Actually, these days, you can have a lousy credit record and get it. God's not worried about your car. He ain't worried about your house. If he knows when a sparrow falls, he knows the hairs of your head. And what is it that you have a problem with? He's worried about you being conformed into the image of Christ. As the Apostle Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's what happens when you start looking at the majesty and the power and the grandeur and the glory of God. Your prayers all change. 
I worry more about the spiritual aspect. Let me worry about my growth. Let me worry about the strengthening of my faith. Let me worry about my walk. Let me worry of walking worthy. Let me worry that I don't have to, that I won't shame Him. Let me decrease and Him increase. Listen, if it doesn't mean that much, then I've got to ask you a question. Why does he use the word glory twice in this brief passage? Once in verse 16 and once in verse 21. Alright? So, when you're starting to think about a reason to bow in your prayers, think about this. Psalm 95. His hand made creation. You know what's really cool about it? (laughs) He just spoke. Let there be light. Poof. Poof. I was trying to light a torch the other day. I tried that. Let there be light. Just didn't get it. Come on, baby. Come on. Then I even turned on the gas. Here, I turned the gas on. Let there be light now. Just didn't do it. Second reason to bow your knees in prayer. Biblically, we see uh, the bowing. I, I really want Castle Rock Baptist Church to get this. Because I've seen this and I, I've seen seen the struggle and I've heard it. And, and you try to... This is one of those things that when I walk away from and I'm like, Lord, you're going to have to deal with this sucker. Because this is off of my pay grade. Okay? Second reason that I see the bowing of the knee is at a time of intense passion. Okay? Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's call it emotion. Want to call it emotion? If I'm going before the creator of existence who saved my poor, wretched soul, how can I not have passion? Okay? If you have passion... A byproduct or the other side of that very coin is emotion. Okay? Now, let me, let me give you an example of this. Ezra. Okay, everybody know about Ezra? Let me explain Ezra really quick, okay? He's come out of Babylonian captivity. Okay? This is, remember Nehemiah and the wall and all that other stuff that they were trying to deal with and uh, and, and, of course, the people had come out of 70 years of captivity, and they kind of got their, hey, we are free, we are free, going on. And so they're having a good time of it. And guess what happens when you people get into that perspective? They started dealing with what is called mixed marriages. Marrying outside of the Jewish nation. So here's Ezra. Ezra gets a wake-up call. 
Now, Ezra is the one who said, here, this is the pulpit and this is the platform. You stood up above the people and you laid the book out there. You read the book and you made the sense of the book. And then guess what you did? You repeated it. That'd be Ezra. That guy. Okay? But he watched what Israel was doing. They'd just come out of 70 years of captivity. Alright? And all of a sudden, the Canaanite girls were looking good. Uh, the Hezekite, the Hezekite guys were looking good. And so let's start married. God says, no, you need to run them out of the land. You need to get a blimp, shoo, 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 shoo. If not, you'll end up with what we've got right now in Israel. Alright? They didn't do it. So, but at the evening, verse 5, chapter 9. But at the evening offering, see what they're doing? Very religious. We're doing exactly what God told us to do. At the evening offering, there we go. But I got my eyes on that Canaanite. Man, she's a looker. The evening offering, I arose from my humiliation. Even with my garment and my robe torn, I fell on my knees and stretched out my hands to the Lord my God. And I said, Oh my God, I'm ashamed and embarrassed to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen above our heads and our guilt has grown even to the heavens. You know, I heard a lady this week that said, you can't be a Christian and oppose abortion. Got that? And she's wanting to run for office. You can't be a Christian and oppose abortion. Anybody here want to weep? And cry for our country? That's what Ezra is doing. What we do is, oh Lord, burn them up. (laughs) He said, nah. He goes on. Since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt And on account of our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, and to open shame as it is this day. But now, for a brief moment, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us an escaped remnant And to give us a peg in the holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our bondage. Okay? He's on his knees. Why? I would call that emotional stress. He is coming to confess his sins. He's coming as a broken man. He's coming, as King David stated, contrite and brokenhearted. He's coming at the evening sacrifice. He's coming first and foremost with what? 
confession. He is overwhelmed by his iniquity and he couldn't stand under the weight of the sin. You ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced the weight of your sin driving you to your knees? Ezra did it. That's the emotion, that's the passion that is there. Of course, Daniel, Daniel 6. Daniel was praying in an awful situation. The decree had gone out. You will pray to no one but the king. And yet, prayer in that awful situation and the passion of Daniel's heart, even in those circumstances, he prayed three times a day. And he wanted everybody to know he was praying three times a day. So he threw open the windows so all could see. He opened his window that a man with passion, the passion in his heart that all could see. See, that's that passion that causes us to bow before the Lord. Acts chapter 20, one of my favorite texts. I have a lot of favorite texts. Paul has a group of elders together in Maltese. You know, you know who the elders are? From Ephesus. From Ephesus. They're saying goodbye to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul's already told them, uh, probably, probably not going to see you again, okay? I'm kind of out of here. This letter that we're reading right now is written to who? The Ephesians. You know who would have read it? The elders. These men loved the Apostle Paul. You know how I know that? Because in Miltius, the Apostle Paul tells them, Hey, I'm going down to Jerusalem. Uh, this ain't going to work real well. I'll probably never see you again. You know what happened? They all fell on their knees. They embraced him. They would weep tears and they would lay their faces on the back of his neck as they all laid there to pray on their knees, understanding who this man was to them. The love they had for this man. And he was leaving them. They knew it was God's will. But they were on their knees. With their tears falling on his back. They embraced. They wept. And they prayed. Why does it freak us out when someone cries when they pray? That's nuts. Listen. Well, that was a woman and she... These are all men I just gave you. Give me a break. 
Why? They understand the majesty, the grandeur, and the glory of God. First, they understand what God has done. That's second. Thirdly, they understand the iniquity of their own heart. Fourthly, they miss and they love what is going on. They were losing the Apostle Paul and there was serious emotion at that loss. The loss of a loved one. They call that deep emotion. So, you pray on your knees. One, I hope that it's with deep emotion. I have told you people this over and over and over and over. The most intimate thing that you can do with your spouse is pray. Because you are going butt naked into the throne room of God. And what are you going to hide in your heart? There's nothing that he don't know. How intimate is that? But you also have the heartbreak of sin. Drive you to your knees. You have the heartbreak of the circumstance. Which will drive you to your knees. But you also have the heartbreak of the loss of love. Which will drive you to your knees. Whatever it is, it seems like uh, falling on your knees is about the only way you can handle it. Sometimes in the Bible, this marks one who is very passionate. One who is very passionate has an intense emotion, has an intense prayer. Jesus Christ in the garden praying three times, remove this cup. Was doing what? He was weeping and sweating so intensely that there was capillary eruptions going on that his sweat was actually mingled with blood. Well, I'm not sure about you or me, but that seems kind of intense. Maybe a little bit on the passionate side. So why would you be afraid to shed a tear in prayer? Listen, that was the Apostle Paul. I believe Paul... I fall so short when I think about him. But I think about his tremendous passion, his tremendous emotional attachment to the church. I wish we all had that. So passionate, so emotional about the church that, bang, it drives me to my knees because of the loss of love, because of the circumstances, and because of the iniquity. God help us. Listen, theologically, you knew I was going to shift back there. When you have that, now remember what I told you about your prayers. Please 
start off with a solid theological foundation. Okay? But when you have that passion, the Apostle Paul, because of the theology and the passion, the emotion in that theology, it allowed him to see through people's wants and pinpoint their needs. Uh, You're just making that up. I knew you'd say that. So, Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. My children, with whom I'm again in labor. You know what that is, right? That'd be labor pains. All the ladies will tell you about labor pains. And I'll say, okay. Just remember, it was yours that said, let's eat that fruit. (laughs) Okay? So, anyway. My children, with whom I am again in labor pains. Why are you in labor pains, Paul? Why do you have this emotion that like a child, you are my children and I have these pains of birth. Why do you have that, Paul? Until Christ is formed in you. That was the pain. That was the passion. My little children, I am in labor pains for you. You ever had that? You ever dealt with a brother or sister who is uh, going through it? And look at him as a little child and labor pains until Christ is formed. Let me give you another one. First Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. I would like to tell you that, you know, the first time that I read through this, it's been years ago, it had this massive effect on me. It still has a massive effect on me, but i got to be honest with you. Have you ever been around Christians and been discouraged? None of you guys have. That's great. I'm glad you guys stay there. Don't get discouraged. Here's what he says. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Now, I don't know about you. (laughs) What is that picture? Apostle Paul's writing this. I was as gentle among you as a nursing mother to her own children. Is there anything more gentle than that? Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you have become very dear 
to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship and how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. Just as you know, we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. Got that? Brothers and sisters, I pray that your prayers change. And uh, I pray that they're radical. Because I know right now that there's probably not a handful of people who have any understanding of what I just gave you. the gentleness of a nursing mother, the cry that I am still in labor pains until Christ is formed in you, exhorting and encouraging you as a father, all of you, because I've grown fond of you, Ezra weeping for the sins of Israel, Daniel saying you can't pray, being told he couldn't pray, and he just hammers it. Jesus falling prostrate. Jesus weeping in the Garden of Gethsemane because he knew he was about to be touched by sin. See what I'm trying to get at? Get your theology solid so when your prayers go up, they're coming off of rock. And then that theology is so strong, I can look right through people's wants and pinpoint their needs. And pinpoint their needs. See... Paul wanted so much to see everybody he dealt with to be like Christ Jesus. Till Christ is formed in you, I suffer labor pains. Paul's intensity, Paul's emotion is perhaps the key to understanding the prayer in Ephesians 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Do you understand that? And then he makes that statement to all the families. I'll deal with that next week because I've heard some really goofy stuff on that. To all the families. Why? What is he talking about? The oneness of the church. The oneness of believers. He understood that he wanted the people to be like Jesus Christ. But he also understood the majesty. And in that majesty, it fired his intense passion. Won't you grab that? Hmm. Once we grab that.
it'll drive us all to prayer. With that, let us pray. Father, we come before you. Father, I uh, beseech your throne that the people that are here would grow in their intensity and their passion to commune with you in such a way that their passion would be for all of the saints to be Christ-like. Father, dangerous times you have shown us. Help each of us to all of a sudden step forward in the light of your glory, your majesty, that, Father, we may proclaim with boldness but our prayers would be bold and our prayers would be confident, understanding that you are the loving Abba, eagerly awaiting us to enter into your presence. I thank you, Father. Thank you for the privilege of prayer. I thank you for the privilege of being in the body of Christ. I thank you for the privilege of your book in the times that you have given each of us. Thank you. There's not enough. May we each walk worthy. In Christ's name, amen.